Hello and welcome to Rinse and Repeat. I'm Carol Escoros. Today's contemporary woman of the Bible is Lillian Trasher. She was an American missionary who lived from 1887 to 1961. And it was actually a chance, quote unquote, chance meeting on a train that changed everything for Lillian. She was actually on her way to Atlanta to apply for a lucrative job as a artist for a newspaper, when a woman sitting across from her introduced herself. The woman's name was Maddie Perry, and Maddie served as an orphanage leader in Marion, Georgia. And she was just sharing with Lillian that they always needed workers at her orphanage. And Maddie was chatting with her, and she spoke words that Lillian would never forget. Maddie said, there is no end to what you can do if you follow God's call and trust him to take care of the rest. Those words really stuck with Lillian, but as she thought on Maddie, she said, you know, Maddie's one of those crazies, you know, she's one of those kind of Jesus people. So anyway, Lillian went on to the newspaper office. She interviewed for the job, left the portfolio with the editor, and the editor said that she needed to come back the next day for his decision. So she came back the next day, only to find out that the editor was actually terribly sick, and he left another man in charge. And that harried newspaper man was just trying to figure out who had been given the job. He's looking in stacks of papers, and he said, listen, the man said that one of you was the absolute best, and I needed to give the rest of you back your portfolios, and I can't find those portfolios, and there's papers falling, and She basically took that to mean that she hadn't gotten the job and she left rather dejected and she threw herself on her bed at home and cried herself to sleep that night. But as the night progressed, she thought about Maddie Perry and the orphanage in Marion, North Carolina, and she just felt this strong impression that she was supposed to go work at the orphanage. As And as the night progressed, she knew that she knew that she knew she was supposed to go to that orphanage, and peace really came upon her, and she just knew that's what she was supposed to do. So a few days later, she went back to get her portfolio from the newspaper, and the editor was actually there and he blew up and you knew what was coming with this story. He said, I tried to find you. You never left me your forwarding information. I couldn't find you. So I had to give the job to somebody else, but it was actually your job. You were the best applicant. You were the artist I wanted to give the job to. But you know what? Lillian was at complete rest. She knew she hadn't missed her chance because she knew by the power of the Holy Spirit, that she was led to go work in that orphanage. She was at complete rest. And onto that orphanage she went. She learned so much while she was there. In fact, while she was there, she knew from one situation to the next that she was supposed to go serve the Lord in Africa and specifically in Egypt. In fact, she even gave up her fiancé and an engagement that happened later on in her life because her fiance had no call to missions. He was not called by God to go serve on the mission field. So she actually gave up getting married and she went on to serve the Lord in Egypt. And I want to share with you one particular story early in her ministry in Egypt that changed her life there forever. She was serving in a missions house with other missionaries, just as a missionary, not yet as an orphanage leader in Egypt. 
And a 15-year-old girl had just given birth. Now, mind you, in Upper Egypt, girls are given into marriage very, very, very young. Certainly at the time, they were given into marriage at age 13 and 14. And the father of the child came running to the mission's house and basically saying, we're in trouble over here. So Lillian went running and the 15-year-old that just gave birth essentially died in childbirth. And she had given birth to this tiny baby girl who was uh, fundamentally um, very, very sick. And as she saw the situation transpiring before her, the girl's great-grandmother, who was probably in her late 30s, early 40s, because imagine if you have a baby when you're 15, you're not very old when you're a great-grandmother. Her great-grandmother was about to drown that sickly newborn baby girl in the Nile. She was about to drown her in the Nile because she was just a girl after all. And without hesitation, Lillian grabbed that baby girl and ran off with her back to the mission's house and said, I'm going to keep this baby. You're not going to drown this baby. This baby is not going to die tonight. Now, that newborn sickly baby girl needed a lot of care, as you might imagine, around the clock care. And she cried a lot. And so the missionaries there at the mission's house were patient with it for a while. But after a few weeks, the missions director came to Lillian and basically said, you cannot keep her here any longer. The missionaries here are not getting any sleep. They really need you to take her back. And Lillian asked him, back where? Her mother's dead. She has nowhere to go. And if I take her back, they're going to kill her. She's not healthy. She's not strong. They're going to drown her. Where do you want her to go? Is there an orphanage that I can take her to? And the missions director said, there is no such thing as an orphanage here in Egypt. Just think how many children would be clamoring to get in if there was such a thing as an orphanage in Egypt. No, you're going to have to find some relative to take her to. And Lillian was like, there are no relatives. They're going to kill her. If she must go, then I have to go with her. And the missions director was very direct with Lillian. He said, then if you go, you're going alone. Lillian, what you're saying is impossible. A lone American woman living in an Arabic world. Think about what you're saying. You will be killed or you will starve to death over this little girl. You are going alone. And Lillian said unforgettable words that stayed with her for the rest of her life. She said, I will not be alone. I will have God with me, she said to the missions director. And she left. She left the missions house. She rented a house with the very little money that she and her sister, who was with her serving on the mission field, she she rented a house with the very little money she had. And she began an orphanage with just that one baby. And a little Muslim boy came a couple days later, and truly by the Holy Spirit, he said to her, he's a Muslim boy, mind you, and he came with some money, and he said, listen, are you the lady that's going to care for hundreds of babies? And Lillian looked at him like, what are you talking about? We have one baby. We don't have an orphanage yet. She kind of took a moment's pause at the word hundreds, and he left them enough money for food for dinner that night. 
And so began the orphanage that Lillian Trasher would begin, which I'm going to share with you, okay? That's the cliffhanger. Stay tuned. You're going to hear more about my my friend, my girl, my beloved missionary to my beloved Egyptian people, Lillian Trasher. You will hear more from her. But I want to point out a few lessons that are going to parallel directly with what I'm about to teach you from Lydia in the book of Acts. Number one, Lillian Trasher was directed by God through the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit was leading Lillian Trasher just as he led Paul in what we're about to read in the passage about Lydia. Number two, God brings direct answers. In fact, he opens doors by closing them. He opened doors for Lillian by closing the doors for art, for example. And number three, as we see again and again, he uses one woman to change hundreds of lives. We are going to see it in Lillian Trasher's life, and we certainly are about to see it in the life of Lydia. So if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 16, how I love this story in the life of Paul and certainly in the life of Lydia. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, for a pause there, please, please note two things there. There are two first happening. They are crossing over to Europe for the first time. Crossing into Macedonia, this is representing the first time that they're crossing into Europe. And also, this is the first time that the term we is being used here. It appears that we have a quartet appearing on the scene. The we is Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Dr. Luke. Luke is obviously writing this, and the we is Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Dr. Luke. All right, now verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day from Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of the part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Okay, now I want you to jump down to one more verse. After Paul and Silas were imprisoned in Philippi and the Philippian jailer is saved, I want you to briefly look at verse 40 of that same chapter. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they were they encouraged them and departed. Those are the passages there on Lydia. All right, so let's note what is happening here. 
So in prepping for their second missionary journey, Paul and the team, they wanted to go to Galatia, and God said no. They wanted to go to Mysia, and God said no. They wanted to go to Bithynia, and God said no. So it's like how God had closed the door for Lillian Trasher to have that amazing job as the artist for the newspaper. Even though she had been given the job, God said no, because he had another plan in store. So it's also like God very clearly gives us direction by saying no. He closes doors on plans that could be very good plans, very reasonable plans, but his no's are indeed because he has such amazing yeses. Can you name other times in scripture, think with me, when God closed the doors on plans that we've made? Think about it. Abraham and Sarah with Ishmael. That wasn't God's ideal plan. That wasn't the son of the promise. He said no to that. Now, obviously, he made Ishmael a great nation, a nation, of course, that created a whole lot of trouble, but God fulfilled his promise to Hagar, but he said no to Sarah's plan to create the son of promise that way. How about Cain with his offering? Cain's like, this is good enough, I guess. God said no. How about that day that Samuel decided, hey, I'm going to make the offering, When Saul said, I'm going to make the offering, and Samuel was like, no, you're not going to make the offering. That's not correct. And Saul actually had the moment where God departed from him because he didn't offer the offering the way God said, through the priest and not through the king. You remember that? So God clearly says no, and very often it's because he has better yeses. But then the vision. I want you to notice the vision. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia to help us. All right, that's in verse nine. Now, as it turns out, it's not so much a man, but rather a group of women and really one woman, especially in Macedonia. See, they're gathered in a place there designated by Roman authorities of Philippi as a place of prayer and worship for the Jews. All right, so they're gathered in a place of prayer for the Jews, and Lydia is a woman of Thyatira, a city on the western province, and it's actually called Lydia in Asia Minor. So her name originally may have been the designation of her home, a woman of Lydia. And at the time that she meets Paul, she's living in Philippi, the leading city of Macedonia on the European continent. And incidentally, Thyatira, for those Bible students out there, it's one of the cities that gets a letter to the seven churches in Revelation, all right? So it's the one that gets the the letter in Revelation 2, 18 through 29, and it's that corrupt church. And so many people are talking about that spirit of Jezebel. It's like all the rage. People are all talking about the spirit of Jezebel. That's coming out of the church of Thyatira. But back to Lydia, she's a wealthy and influential businesswoman. She told she sold articles dyed in purple, and it's a prized color because it's made from these certain mollusks, okay? And it was such a respectable and lucrative trade at the time. So she is a businesswoman. She's wealthy. She has a spacious home that could accommodate many guests and servants. And listen, this is not common in her day. It indicates that she's really a hardworking, tenacious, 
intellectual woman who's got some serious business acumen. We're talking like, wow. Now, pause there for a second. If she is to lean towards some of the sin problems that we saw maybe with Sapphira last time, you know, what was one of Sapphira's problems? Remember, we talked about greed with her. We also talked about pride. See, pride can fall in when you become successful at your job, right? But what about this issue of self-sufficiency? I want to talk to you guys about that for a second. Could we please? See, self-sufficiency can become a problem when we become successful, when we're actually good at something. And this can be a problem for all of us, no matter what we're in, whether it's business or in school or in ministry even. You can really fall into a great danger of being like, I got this. No, I can handle that. You can almost stop relying on God and be like, no, no, I, I, I have this. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. Please note that passage. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. I want you guys to write that on your walls. I want you to put it somewhere on your mirrors. Anytime you think, I got this. It actually scares me when I hear one of my kids say, mom, I got this. Don't worry about it, mom. You know, I get this from my kids when they're driving somewhere. My 16-year-old is a driver now. And it's terrifying because I've never lived in a state before where you can have 16-year-olds that are driving. I'm from the Northeast and my older kids, they, they didn't drive this early. So I'm always like, okay, baby, like we always do. We pray before we leave. And sometimes she'll be like, mom, don't worry. And I'm, I'm like, no, no, don't. That's the wrong answer. Ask the Lord. Don't ever be like, I got this. I never want to hear any of my kids. I never want to hear it from me or my husband ever be like, I got this. There is danger in self-sufficiency. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Listen, if you are in a position while you're listening, take that passage down. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. And uh, John 15, 5 is another parallel. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Lydia understood that she was in Christ. She depended on God. She's a stark contrast to Sapphira last time. Sapphira had a pride and a greed problem. That's not what we're seeing happening with Lydia here. Instead, notice, on the Sabbath day, Lydia went to the river shore that had been designated by the Roman authorities as a place of prayer and worship for the Jews in Philippi. Now, there's a little bit of controversy here because some say Lydia is a Jew, and that's why we find her here honoring God on the Sabbath. Others say she's a Gentile that's drawn by a great interest in godly things. And she's exploring those that interest with the Jews, okay? And now, mind you, if she's a Gentile, that makes her the first 
Gentile convert of Paul on the European continent. And some of the commentators I was reading say that Lydia is the first Gentile convert of Paul on the European continent, but there is a little bit of back and forth as to whether or not she was a Jew or a Gentile. Either way, Lydia is open to the gospel. Can we just be clear about that? She's open to the gospel. She's in this prayer meeting. She's in the right place among God's people to hear what Paul has to say. And look at verse 14. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. See, notice that she worshiped God before the Lord opened her heart to hear the things spoken of by Paul. See, she was there that she would have her heart opened. This is why we're always praying the way we pray. We always pray that God would open the hearts of people. Before I do any retreat, or any conference, I asked the leaders of that retreat to give me the list of the names of all the registrants, because I literally pray every single name that God would open the hearts of each woman. God knows whether or not they know Jesus, and I pray that they would know him. God knows whether or not they're struggling in their marriage or in their finances or in their relationships or if they're not assured of their salvation. So I just pray that God would open their hearts to the things that I will teach, the things the Holy Spirit wants to impress on their hearts. So I feel like me praying that God would open their hearts is more important sometimes than half the studying I'm doing in preparing the messages. And that's why we pray that God would open hearts because of this passage here in Acts 14, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. See, we don't just pray the things that we pray out of like Christianese, right? To just pray things willy-nilly. Romans 2, 4 says this, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God is the one that's doing the drawing. God is good and he's drawing us to repentance. John 6, puts it this way. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. And look at all that God does to reach this one woman and through her so many as a result. Like, I mean, he's moving all of, like he says, no, Paul, you're not going here. No, Paul, you're not going here. No, Paul, you're not going here. But you're going to go all the way over here. And he gives Paul this vision of this man in Macedonia, which actually turns out to be a group of women. And then he comes and hears Paul with his entourage to talk to this group of women. And Lydia hears. So let's glean some critical lessons here. Some takeaways, and you know how much I love these takeaways. Number one, y'all, are we seeking the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives the way Paul did in coming to Macedonia, the way Lillian did through every step of her life? Are we sensitive to the leading of the Spirit? And I want this to be a very important point. There are some people that I talk to that are very sensitive about the Spirit. They don't want to move unless God moves. They don't want to lag behind. They don't want to run ahead. 
But more often than not, I'm talking to people who don't even know anything about the Holy Spirit. Chuck Smith wrote a great book called Living Water, and I highly recommend it. I highly, highly recommend it to you to read it and understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But do you know who the Holy Spirit is, this third member of the Trinity? Do you understand the work that he's doing in the daily lives of believers? And in your life, are you just going about daily life, Christian? Are you going to church on Sunday? Maybe you serve in a ministry at church. And that's kind of the Christian life for you. Now, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Don't hear what I'm not saying, as I always say. (laughs) Don't hear what I'm not saying. Those are great things. But that's not all of the Christian life. Are you in the Word of God in such a way that the Holy Spirit can come upon it and illuminate it to your understanding so you can walk with Him and He can direct you? Are you seeking the Lord in prayer with a persistence that He can answer you and lead you by His Spirit? Are you asking with persistence, hear me, I am serious about this. I want to testify of this in my own life just today. There was something I have been asking God for for weeks, and I've been asking him for it daily. Lord, should I do this? Every day I've been asking him, should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? Every single day, every single day. And there's some urgency, some urgency. And Today, he clearly made a way that made it clear that I do not need to do that thing that I was so clearly praying over. I was waiting on God, and by his spirit, he sustained me to wait while I prayed Guys, I'm asking your Christian life to be so much more than church attendance. Be in the Word of God. Be persistent in prayer. Ask for a filling of the Holy Spirit for daily direction on your life. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. The Holy Spirit is a presence with you. He's an empowering for greater works than just living your life in the mundane. We're seeing it in the life of Lillian Trasher. We're seeing it in the life of Paul. And we're seeing it in what Lydia, Lydia, and we're going to talk about it in a second, about what she does for Paul in his life. Second great lesson here. The extraordinary happens amidst the mundane. I love this. Salvation here is visited in the middle of a typical prayer meeting. This is a typical prayer meeting for the Jews, all right? They're just doing what they do. It's like going to church on Sunday. You do it and God visits it. Think about examples in scripture of the extraordinary happening in the middle of the mundane, all right? How about Abraham's servant? He asks God for an answer when he's just you know, going to get to water the animals by a well. And he asked God for an answer about a wife for Isaac. And God clearly answers him while he's watering those animals. Or how about a woman going for water at a well? That was a pretty mundane thing that she was doing. And she 
interacts with the Almighty that changes her life forever, which then goes and changes her community forever. Listen, God can do an extraordinary thing as you go about your ordinary life. God can do an extraordinary thing as you go about your ordinary life. If your life is a surrendered one, if you're listening and praying and paying attention and asking God, would you fill me with your spirit that I might be sensitive to what you're doing in the day-to-day? Show up to the mundane things prayerful, not just sleepy. Show up to church not just like, oh, here I am, but ready to hear from the Lord, ready to worship and not just to receive. How about you show up at church ready to give and to minister and to serve and to bless and to be a part of the community? Not just to receive, but to give. A third lesson, and this is the part of Lydia's story that I find so, so remarkable. When it comes to the things of God, are we tenacious and persuasive? Look at verse 15. When she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. Look at what she does here, okay? The word begged us. She begged us. She wanted so much to show them hospitality that she begged us. And the word therefore persuaded, okay? That word persuaded and begged. Would you believe in the Greek, it's parakleo, which the root is paraclete, the same word to come alongside, to encourage, to comfort, is the same root term used for the Holy Spirit himself. In other words, she is playing a role similar to the role that God is giving the Holy Spirit. She's tenacious to encourage and to comfort the people of God. This is the role that Lydia is playing for Paul and the apostles. Not only is she sensitive to be converted by them, she's in the right place among God's people to hear God's word. Not only is she hungry and thirsty for God's word, but she immediately is acting upon what she is learning. Please hear me on this. She is encouraging others with what she is getting. Look, we used to say about ourselves all the time in my own church, like we could become the fatted faithful if we weren't careful, right? Like you could be so well fed that you just get fatter and fatter, become fat sheep, right? The way not to become fat sheep is to make sure that you're feeding people with what you are receiving. One of the best ways to minister to people is to do what Lydia's doing. She's taking what she got from these men and she's encouraging them and other people with it. She is a comfort to others. She is playing a role similar to the paraclete himself. Listen, y'all. 
One of the greatest things that you can do right now here today in ministry, even if you don't have a title, even if you aren't in formal ministry in the church, if you are just listening, take something you learn here, something I say to you, and share it with somebody else that they would then share it with somebody else. Multiply yourself the way Lydia does. That's exactly what she's doing here. And it's such an encouragement to me when people say that. You know, somebody came up to me not so long ago and they said, you know what? You said this and it really stuck with me and I've been sharing it with other people. And it's cool because then they're like telling other people about it. And I actually have to say to them, did I actually teach that? Because here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is the one that teaches it. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is sharing stuff with you guys that I don't necessarily remember saying because it's the Holy Spirit that's saying it, not me. It's not in the notes. I have to tell you, 90% of what you guys are hearing isn't even in the notes because it's something that God wants to say. Multiply yourself the way Lydia does. She begs and persuades them, and it's the word for a tenacious encouragement a comforting like the Holy Spirit. That's a great lesson from the life of Lydia. And the fourth lesson from this passage from Lydia is the influence that we have over our families. And this would be the last lesson I want you to take from her life here. Look, she and her family are baptized in verse 15. The influence that she has over her family Listen to me, especially ladies out there who are hearing me. You have such a powerful influence over your family. Mothers raise your children. Older women teach those younger women to do good and to love their husbands and their children like Titus 2 teaches us to do. There is no greater work. I know that there are a thousand things that tell us otherwise, but you loving your families well changes culture. Trust me. Everything in our culture will say otherwise, and everything in you will probably scream, nope, nope, nope. It's not true. Lydia has this extraordinary influence over her family, and the results are astounding. It's not unlike Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, when he called all of his relatives and his friends in to hear Peter, and there's this huge result. Look at the influence that we can have. What an extraordinary testimony from this passage in Acts 16, but also from the great and extraordinary life of Lydia. What a remarkable woman of God. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Rinse and Repeat. I just love that this woman was faithful to the Lord. Like she said, if you have found me faithful to the Lord, and she really, really was. Again, I'm Carol Iscaros. You can learn more about Rinse and Repeat, about me, and so much more at my website. It's caroliscaros.com. That's Carol, E-S-K-A-R-O-S 
www.thepowerofpositivitymindset.com. There you can catch up on programs you may have missed. You can also read our Bible reading plans on YouVersion Bible app. You can find out when I'll be in your area. We have some upcoming women's retreats. Spring retreats are all the things, so they're coming up. And you can also get in touch with me. I would love to hear how the program is affecting your life. I've also been receiving prayer requests, which is such a blessing to me to be able to pray over things going on in listeners' lives. So it would be such a joy to hear from you. Again, the website, caroleskaros.com. And be sure to join me next time for our next episode of Rinse and Repeat.